Welcome to the 20-Minute Bible Study, a teaching podcast from Faith on Hill Church in Milwaukee, Oregon. My name's Adam. I'm the pastor at Faith on Hill. And while I put 20 minutes on the timer, why don't you open your Bibles to the book of Hebrews, chapter 3. Well, with 20 minutes on the timer, Moses. Moses was considered the greatest of the prophets, the greatest of the leaders that Israel ever had. David was their greatest king, but Moses was their greatest leader. They honored Abraham as the father of the nation, as their patriarch. But while the original covenant with Abraham created the nation of Israel, It was Moses who brought the law. It was Moses who brought the people into the promised land. It was Moses who, through whom God made the covenant with Israel. I will be your God. You will be my people. I will do these things for you and you do these things for me. That was the deal. In chapter 3, verse 1, the writer of Hebrews says this, Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly callings, fix your thoughts on Jesus whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. Now, the word apostle just means messenger. That's where things can get a little bit confusing. Even in the church, we talk about the apostles, and that can equally mean the 12 disciples. It can also mean a more extended uh, family of people, Barnabas and, uh, you know, where does Paul or Timothy or uh, James or Jude, where do they fit into that? And then there are people that seem to have an apostolic ministry in our day. Um, There are people who have a ministry that goes beyond one church or a group of churches. Um, Think of our friend Victor down in Mexico, who Victor uh, goes all over, especially the Baja uh, Peninsula, but he goes all over Mexico, especially the Baja, and he will go, and when he goes to a town and there's a Baptist church, they recognize Victor as somebody who they welcome in and, and Victor is free to share and preach and he goes into the next town and there's a Pentecostal church and they welcome Victor and they bring him in and he's free to share and preach and minister. He goes to another you know, group and they go, oh, Victor, it's good to see you. And then he'll go to towns where there's no church. But he has relationship. He's been going to these places for years and he, he is free and welcomed in and he, he brings the gospel. He has sort of an apostolic ministry. My own pastor growing up wasn't just the pastor of my church, although that was, you know, his main thing, but, but he also had influence and uh, natural authority to speak into, the ch- into churches all over the world. There were churches in Russia that recognized his, his role in, in establishing them after communism fell. There, when he goes to Europe, you know, he's retired now, but he still traveled to Europe once or twice a year, and he'll share with churches there, and they recognize, you know, just the, the work that he did in Europe for 30 years, helping to plant churches, helping to encourage churches. Certain people have just an apostolic ministry. Um, they, they have a, a ministry that's bigger than one church. I think of our superintendent that way. Um, people that just have a, that kind of role. Then, um, so, but when we say ap- apostles, it's just the word means messengers. So I think somebody could be apostolic and just be a messenger and not to be confused with the apostles and that Jesus is 
our apostle. He is the messenger and high priest. He is the faithful one, verse 2. The one who, uh, he is faithful to the one who appointed him. That's God the Father, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of the greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has a greater honor than the house itself. For every, uh, for every house is built by somebody, but God is the builder of everything. So Moses was, the faithful as a, was faithful as a servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken of by God in the future. But Christ is faithful as the son over God's house. And so we are his house, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. There's two types of people that I believe that the writer is speaking to here, and generally in the book, but specifically here. The first is the believing Jew, the person who is Jewish, ethnically, culturally, religiously, who believes that Jesus is the Messiah promised in their scriptures. The prophecies that Moses gave of the one who was coming, the prophecies that God gave to David saying, from your house, there will come a ruler whose reign will have no end. They, they are Jewish people, ethnically, culturally, religiously, who believe that those prophecies and promises were fulfilled in Jesus, the son of David, born in Bethlehem as the prophets foretold. They also believe, like the prophet Jeremiah said, that God would establish a new covenant. And he did through Jesus. They also believe, as King Solomon said prophetically, that there would come a day when all of the peoples of the world would come and worship God. And that covenant is open to all people. And that's how I get in, because I'm not Jewish as far as I know. And so... That's how we get in. The, those of us who aren't Jewish, that's, our, that's, that's how we're welcomed in. But he's writing to people who are culturally, ethnically, religiously Jewish, but who believe that Jesus is their Messiah. And he's giving them teaching, instruction. Hey, you know, Moses is, a, is awesome, but he, Jesus is better. He's also speaking to Jewish people who reject Jesus as the Messiah. And he's trying to build the case. You have the law, you have the prophets, you have Moses, you have the whole you have the whole system. But understand that that whole system was always pointing to Jesus. Understand that that whole system breaks down if you don't have Jesus. In our day, I believe that we speak the same thing. We speak to people who grew up in some sort of religious system. And we explain to them what's real and what's made up. And what I mean by made up is human-made traditions. Oh, I got to dress my best on Sunday morning. That's a human-made tradition. If you want to dress your best, totally fine. You know, my dad worked a kind of a, a physical job, and he would come home sweaty and gross. And on Sunday mornings, he liked to look clean and dress a little nicer and put on his nicer shirt and go to church. And I one time asked him, Dad, why do you dress up? And by the way, my dad was not putting on a three-piece suit, but he wore a nicer shirts. And, you know, Dad, why do you put all that effort into dressing up? We don't go to that kind of church. We go to the kind of church where you can just dress however you want to go. And he said, because I look scuzzy Monday through Friday. 
I like to clean up on Saturday and Sunday. Well, it makes sense. But there are all these things that happen if you, if you believe in Jesus, but you grew up in the church, and you've got to kind of process. Some people like to use the word de- deconstruct. You have to process through all this stuff to figure out what's actually in the scripture and what's something that I just you know, got handed, and maybe that made sense in a different generation, but it, it's not biblical. It's just a cultural thing. We're also speaking to people who grew up in the church or grew up in religion, but don't have faith. And we're trying to invite them in and show them that Jesus is better. And you might say, well, I'm not a religious person or, or, you know, a lot of people don't grow up in the church anymore. You're still very religious. Why is it that people give themselves to causes? Why is it that people give themselves to careers? Why is it that people give themselves to political activity? Those are their faiths, their mantras, their creeds, their religion. And so what we do is we speak and we say, hey, you have all of these things, but Jesus is better. Moses, the writer of Hebrews, is not knocking Moses. Moses was faithful. He did what God called him to do. But who gets the credit? The house or the one who builds the house? Moses is just part of the house. He is part of the people that God built. Jesus, as God, is the builder of the house. And as God was building a house, the people of Israel, and now in this new covenant, he is building a house, the church from all tribes and tongues and nations and people, Jewish, non-Jewish, old and young, modern, new, east and west, north and south, it doesn't matter. Jesus is building the house. And our hope, and we have great confidence because Jesus is the one doing the work. Verse 7. And so the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the times of the testing of the wilderness, when your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. This is why I was angry with that generation, and I said their hearts are always going astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declare an oath in my anger that they shall never enter into my rest. See to it, brothers and sisters, verse 12, that none of you have a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is still called today, so that, we, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end, as has just been said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as you did in the rebellion. So here he quotes uh, from, excuse me, uh, he quotes from Psalm 95 extensively. And then again, at the end of verse 15, he quotes that shorter bit from Psalm 95. He's reminding them of their history. The people hardened their hearts. They didn't believe there was 12 spies sent out into the promised land. Ten of them came back and said, there's no way we can take this land. There's no way we can do it. The other two came back and said, what's stopping us? It's a good land. God said he's going to give it to us. If God is with us, who can be against us? Let's get going. But the people didn't listen to the two, Joshua and Caleb. They listened to the other ten. They rebelled against God. And as a punishment, God says, you don't get to enter the promised land. What the writer is saying, let's say, because remember we just said we're speaking to two different people, so let's talk to both kinds of people. He is saying to the believing person who grew up religious, and you've got all of the baggage, good or bad, you have all of the history of that. And in this case, he's speaking specifically to people who are Jewish, maybe living in Israel or part of the Jewish diaspora, but they have all of the same 
cultural background. And he is saying, the Holy Spirit has spoken to us and he has shown us that Jesus is the Messiah. He has shown us that the old covenant was fulfilled in him, in Jesus, and that Jesus has established this new covenant of faith. And so what he is saying is, don't go into rebellion. Don't be led astray. In the book of Galatians, the Apostle Paul, who was Jewish, even though he had a Greek-sounding name, he was Jewish. And he was writing to this church in the region of Galatia, and he was saying to them, what are you guys doing? Because they had fallen under the influence of teachers who were trying to drag them back to the old covenant. And I don't believe that was an isolated incident because I see this in our day. It just takes a different form. But in the church in Galatia, they were trying to get them to follow all of the old covenant laws and all of the old covenant customs. You're a dude. You need to be circumcised. That was their big deal. We're going to have church on Saturday instead of Sunday. We're going to uh, keep these commands and we're not going to eat bacon and all of these things. Now, here's the interesting thing. In the book of Acts... When Paul went back to Jerusalem, he went into the temple and shaved his head to fulfill a vow. What that tells me is that Paul was still culturally Jewish. He didn't abandon his culture or his people when he came to faith in Jesus Christ. We're Americans. I don't think, there, there's a big debate about Christian nationalism in the church right now. Set that aside. I don't think it's wrong for a church or for Christians to celebrate certain cultural things. You know, New Year's is a totally made up, you know, thing. We, we, when does the New Year's end and then, you know, and New Year's, the year ends and the new one begins. Totally made up. Uh, Christmas is actually not in the Bible. We, you know, Thanksgiving, not biblical. Uh, I mean, what's biblical you thanks, but the actual holiday, there's no precedent for it. Uh, you know, certain things, Memorial Day, 4th of July. I don't think there's anything wrong with a church or Christians having a 4th of July barbecue, having a, um, a Memorial Day remembrance, uh, observing Thanksgiving or Christmas or New Year's. Nothing wrong with that. Why? Because that's our culture. Um, one of the big mistakes that the church has made over the years is they've tried to export American Christianity and not just Christianity. They've tried to export British Christianity and not just Christianity. So the church has to look like our church architecturally. The structure has to be like ours, you know, you know structurally. What's really interesting is that Africa, the continent of Africa, was like 10% Christian. 120 years ago. Less than 100 years ago, by the 1950s, Africa is now, and it still is, Africa is now over 50% Christian continent-wide. What changed? The East African revival was led by Africans, and they reclaimed their heritage. Because Africa had, a, had and has a fantastic, a wonderful Christian heritage, going back to the first Christians. A book I recommend a lot is How Africa Shaped the Christian Mind by Thomas Oden. Big fan of that book. But what changed? 
I remember watching a travel show on the BBC. And it was done by one of the guys from Monty Python. And he was at this church, Anglican church in, in Africa. And they were doing all of the very British things and they were not into it. And then when they got to the part of the service where they got to do things the African way, they came alive. They loved Jesus. But they were being forced to express that love and to live in community together in a non-African way. We can be biblical and be Korean. We can be biblical and be American. We can be biblical and be African. We can be biblical and be Filipino. We can be biblical and be, you know, German or, or British or, or Australian or whatever. What he's warning these people to do is don't try to import dead religion onto fresh faith. And so the warning to us who are believers, we've gone up in the church, we've been around a while, and let's say new believers are coming in and they're fresh in and they just like, what's going on? Do we import the culture of a different time or do we just give them Jesus and then we together figure out what does it mean to follow Jesus in this time, in this place? The other warning or the invitation, either way you want to look at it, is he's saying to Jewish people who had rejected Jesus, don't be like our ancestors who rebelled against God and did not enter the promised land. The writer of the Hebrews is going to get to this later, but he, they will equate Jesus with being our promised land, our rest. And he's saying, you have all of these things and yet you rebel against God and you will not accept the Messiah and you will not enter the true promised land. And so just as we say to religious believers, people that grew up in the church have religious or cultural baggage, we don't want to burden people with that sort of thing. At the same time, we speak to unbelievers and we say, don't miss out just because you went to church or because you prayed at a church camp or you were baptized or, or this thing or that thing or you think you're a moral person or just because you're American or whatever. Don't believe that that is enough. Don't believe that anything less than Jesus is enough. Don't test God. Don't deny yourself entry into the true promised land, the true rest, because you reject Jesus. Encourage one another. Walk, run from sin. Verse 16, who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? With whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not those who had sinned and whose bodies perished in the wilderness? To whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest if those did not, uh, to those who not, um, never enter his rest if not to those who disobeyed? So see what they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. The church is in decline in America. Let me rephrase that. The white church is in decline in America. The Hispanic church, the Korean church, the Vietnamese church, the Chinese church, the Eastern European church, the African church, the Middle Eastern church in America is growing by leaps and bounds. I got to have dinner last night with a friend of mine who is the president of a Bible college. And he was telling me that one of the seminaries that a lot of their students go on to five years ago started a Spanish language program. And it is the fastest growing program in the last 25 years at that well-known seminary. 
And the only thing they're asking themselves is, why didn't we start this 20 years ago? Because they should have. The church in America is not in decline. The white church is. Are we going to be put on the shelf and God will say in general to the white church in America, hey, your time's done. You've gone into unbelief. Somebody else will carry on my work. Because while there were those who could not enter the promised land, there was a whole new generation that entered in with Joshua in faith and victory. I want to thank you for joining us for a new episode of the 20-Minute Bible Study. New episodes are released on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, where the video versions are available. You just have to search Faith on Hill and find those there. We appreciate all the likes, subscribe, shares, all the social media stuff. You can follow us at Faith on Hill on Facebook and Instagram. You can join us Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m., both online and in person, as we gather together as a church family with small groups throughout the week. If you have any questions, comments, I kind of I know I kind of left it off there with a little bit of a rant, and so if you have anything like, hey, what did you mean by that? Conversation is always better, and so let's dialogue. My email is adam at faithonhill.com. God bless you. We'll see you next time for another episode of the 20-Minute Bible Study.